0: Oh, I like your shoes. Those new? Don't get distracted. So, I'm We're sorry. We're wasting our time. Are I was going to say, they look like socks with a little tread on them. They're the supposedly waterproof, and I got them so Whoa. that, you know, I could kayak without having to change shoes. Oh, that's cool. Um, Sorry. Okay. <laughs>
2: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Star podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy,
1: And I'm Christopher.
2: And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Good morning, Doug. Hey, Doug.
1: Good morning. How are you guys? How are you
2: all doing today?
1: Good,
0: Good, good. I'm doing great. I, I'm giving up part of my coffee routine in the morning, but I replaced it with orange juice. So the sugar is taking over the adrenaline rush this morning.
2: You, know, I could like totally tell that something is. We've been on the <laughs> we've been talking for about half an hour, and something <laughs> something just kicked in. So <laughs> I, I'm envious. I yeah. I still haven't finished my first cup of coffee yet. Uh, I'm working on it. <gasps> But, um, yeah, it's a beautiful time of year in the eastern Sierra. We've been blessed with a summer that has not been too hot, nor, thank God, too smoky. Right. Um, hopefully, it stays that way. And with that nice weather, we've been able to get out and do a lot of things. And, Christopher, you just had a wild adventure over this past weekend
0: had a unique and unusual adventure for around here, right? I think. Yes. Um, actually, two. So, you know, we live in the Eastern Sierra and a lot of us move to the Eastern Sierra because it's less populated than everywhere else. You kind of get away from people naturally, right? Right. And so um, for that reason, a lot of people at this time of year, I think both of you would agree, There's a lot of people coming up here now to get away from having been locked down in the cities, you know, south or or west of us, um, and just to get some fresh mountain air. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of people around, relatively speaking for us locals. And that's Mm -hmm. a great thing. You know, we just, we love to have visitors and just, once again, would hope people would recreate responsibly and, you know, um, enjoy yourselves while you're up here. But for us, you know, sometimes, you know, dealing with those crowds is, is, um, a bit much. So, yeah. you know, this last couple of weekends ago, we decided we would get out of town and go do a hike. And so we were going to go up to the Bristlecone Pines, which we've talked about before right. on this podcast. Yes. Yeah. They're on the White Mountains, which kind of run parallel to the east of the Sierra Nevada, but they're still in our County. Um, and they're still part of the local scene and, you know, So we we got up early on a Saturday morning, got our our day hike stuff together and started driving up towards the Bristlecone Pines and noticed there's a lot of cars going up there. (laughs) So the crowds were going up there too. And, you know, Mm -hmm. again, not a bad thing, but, you know, the the forest stations aren't open and what have you. So there's just less control and just a lot of people. So we decided on a whim to just go on a mystery adventure. (laughs) Which is, you know, my, so my grand, I call it that because my grandfather used to drive buses in Scotland before the war. And one of the things they would do on Saturdays was do a mystery tour and he would decide just to go drive somewhere random and take a busload of people to get out of town. So, wow, I know, right. So it's in my book. So (laughs) back to the adventure. So, um, To get to the Bristol Cone Pines, really just quickly reminding our listeners, you drive south into Inyo County and down through Bishop and down to Big Pine and turn left and head up towards the White Mountains on this windy, dippy two-lane road that is really going up very quickly. It's a very steep road. It doesn't have a whole lot of shoulder to it. It's a lot like driving a roller coaster. If you like to turn the steering wheel a lot, it's a good road to be on. Um... It's even got one single lane stretch through some carved through rock with a blind curve. So you kind of, you know, it's a little (laughs) bit of an adventure and just driving that road. And if you keep going over West Guard Pass, which is what that road is, and you go over a couple more peaks and down the other side, you end up in Fish Lake Valley right which is is on the east side of the whites and stasis is the first time i got to visit the most southeastern portion of mono county where we live oasis
2: oh the famous
0: oasis the famous oasis which for our listeners it is the most remote part of the county it's on the eastern side of the white mountains and there's no road over the white mountains unless you've got a really good four by four and can take those rutted roads
2: and there's no real oasis
0: is there? I don't know. There's not. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go either north around the whites or south around the whites, which is what West Guard does. Um, but that is technically part of Mono County, and it's just a right. ranch. It's a big ranch. Yeah. I think there's maybe a couple dozen people who live there. Um, so that was fun. That was. We should go back and interview them sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kept going into Nevada, and we went into the old gold country, um, you know, on the, on the eastern side of the White Mountains, that area for our listeners is much more arid. it's more dry um, than the eastern Sierra. so the topography is different the The mountains are just different colors of rock. you know there's Joshua trees, it's really flat. It's very typical American western west and you pass through gold um, ghost towns um, you know from gold mines gone bust in the past, so you pass by like remains of Palmetto. there's a town called Lita. Which is kind of a living ghost town because there are mm-hmm. still people who live there. Um, there's Gold Corner, um, and then we drove all the way out to Highway three ninety Highway ninety five, which connects Las Vegas, Las Vegas,
2: That's right
0: to Reno. Um, wow, it's a long straight drive, very beautiful, almost hypnotic in a way. Um, and we turned left and went up to Goldfield and Tonopah. So Goldfield. And Tonopah were each, are, I should say, still each mining towns. Um, and they really experienced a big gold and silver rush back in the early 1900s. They were boom towns. And right. um, like a lot of mining towns in the old West, once the boom was over, a lot of people picked up and left and went off to the next boom. So there's not, the towns aren't as big as they were. There are a couple of fires that, that damaged them. But there's still a lot of interesting buildings. Goldfield was just really cool. It was unexpectedly cool. There's like early 1900s buildings and miner shacks and what have you. And a lot of people with some funky artwork all over their lawns and their buildings mm. and antique stores. And we thought, well, when we can wear masks, we don't have to wear masks again. We'll go back there and hang out and see what it's right. like. Those those kind of seemed like our kind of people in the middle of the <laughs> Nevada desert. And then Tonopah was just interesting too. It's just like a lot of mining history and and what have you. And there's still mining in the area. In fact, the country's only lithium mine for lithium mm-hmm, for batteries, yeah. right? Yeah. That's in Silver Peak, which is just near Tonopah. So right. um, it's still kind of a mining area. Um, it is very desolate and arid out there. Again, we kind of find that beautiful and that it's a, it's a change. And there were no people Which was nice. People are not driving from the urban areas to go hang out in Goldfield or Tonopah. So um it was just kind of a nice change. And we drove back through Benton. So we went back around the north side of the White Mountains. Saw wild horses, you know, all the Uh kind of stuff you see out there. And it was just it was just a nice drive.
2: How many miles did you drive?
0: I don't know how many miles that is, but it was probably a good four hours total behind the wheel. Wow! Um, but you know, with air conditioning, <laughs> yeah, sure. On a hot day. It was you know over a hundred degrees the whole time because it's wow. the desert. Yeah. Um, but it was you know it was just a fun fun adventure. We did a smaller version of that last weekend. We went up north, um, north of Tonopah. There's a Walker Lake, which is mm-hmm. a pretty famous lake in Nevada, and it's fed by the East Walker and West Walker rivers which come out of mono county they come out of the eastern sierra and they wind their way over into nevada and feed walker lake right which again is just a visually stunning place it's again there's the there's the Paiute reservation the walker indian reservation right there there's big horn sheep that hang out there it's part of their migratory path there are birds that migrate across walker lake kind of like mono lake mm-hmm. um, and it was fun we just never been there there's just kind of go hang out and check it out. It's a it's a good recreational lake area. Um and just get to see parts of the country you otherwise wouldn't you otherwise wouldn't go see. You know, I think if the Eastern Sierra weren't so full of people right now, we probably would not have gone over in that direction.
2: Right. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, that that because of the situation with the virus and everything that's going on that's caused so many people to come here. Right. It's caused the locals to find to seek out
0: <laughs> you're right, i mean it's it's a common conversation with yeah. coworkers and people we live around, right? yeah, um, you know, just either hunker down or go to our secret fishing holes or go go east
2: <laughs> go so. east, young man. <laughs>
0: So those are kind of unusual adventures, but they were definitely fun. And I just enjoy that stuff anyway because, you know, why not go have a mystery drive somewhere? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Especially and, when you have air conditioning in your car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, is, this is a must. I don't know how the settlers did it. <laughs> They would have gone through that. You know, Nevada is like, it's basin and range topography, right? It's really yeah. hot. Oh yeah. And then by the time they got there, if they didn't get the right spot, they were at Death Valley and then, oh my gosh, how did they do it? So it's fascinating. No clue.
2: Well, <laughs> it sounds like a great adventure and I don't know if it's one I want to replicate necessarily, but sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun. Good, w- And yeah, it is a fun. good way to spend a day to get out and see something you've never seen before entirely. For so we sure. hope,
0: listeners, we hope you get to do that from time to time during this whole stay at home
1: period.
2: Yes. So take a deep breath and we'll be right back.
1: Oxygen, a colorless, odorless, reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number 8 and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits oxygen-starved podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now.
0: Welcome back, listeners. We're at the B portion of the podcast, books. Yay! It's always books, right? It's never a different B.
2: It's hard not to talk about books.
0: It is, right?
2: Like, I almost brought it up in our first segment, and I had to to self-edit.
0: We're just learning to infiltrate book conversation in every conversation. I know. I know. So, this week, we decided, you know, schools are reopening in different forms and (laughs) fashions this season, and... And it's back to school time, right? Yes,
2: it is back to school time in a very different way than it has ever been back to school time
0: before. But reading is perennial. And so yes. <laughs> we thought this time we would share some books that, you know, influenced each of us as children to, you know, become lifelong readers. Mm-hmm. And I was curious to hear what you picked, say. So why don't we go start with you?
2: Okay, so this was my idea, to talk
0: about this <laughs> and
2: I will, you know, this is my fault, uh, but I, you know, when, when I sat down to to really kind of narrow down what I wanted to talk about today, I was so mad at myself because I, it, it was so hard to, to really narrow it down. And there's, there's so many books that I could talk about, um, you know, that, that influenced me as, as a child. And I was an early reader, you know, yeah. I, I was, I was reading, um, by the time I was three years old and right. going to libraries was a big part of my life. So, so this was really hard, but you know, like you said, <laughs> it, i I reflected back to my early elementary school days. Great. And, um, so my, my selections today are, are from my third grade and fifth grade years. And, you know,
0: I'm surprised and amazed that you can even remember that much detail.
2: You know, I think it was because I had such amazing teachers. Yeah, in elementary school, and I remember all of my teachers. Wow! And you, know, some of them, I had the great fortune to go back and work with after mm-hmm. I got my teaching credential. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they were such fantastic individuals. Right. So they really stuck with me. But getting to the books, so the first book that I chose was Charlie in the Ch- Is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by
0: Roald Dahl. Yay!
2: And you said you almost chose that one too.
0: I bet a lot of people would almost choose this or choose this.
2: I, I think so. And you know the the thing of it is, is that I'm so sad for the kids today that have been that who were exposed to the movies either one of them (laughs) before (laughs) they got a chance to read the book because the book is so special and so um like i said this was read to us out loud by our third grade teacher miss lois ekstrand god bless her Mm -hmm. Uh, she's since passed Mm-hmm. Um it was originally published in 1964 and for if if you have just arrived on planet earth um it tells the story of Charlie Bucket who is a little boy who lives in poverty and he discovers the final golden ticket that has been released by this eccentric chocolatier and candy maker named Willy Wonka Mm -hmm. and the golden ticket allows the children. There are five of them that get chosen um, to go and visit his factory and find out how he makes his chocolates. And when I was doing the research for this episode, I read that Roald Dahl was influenced by, for this to write this story because he grew up in London and Cadbury chocolates used to have one day a year where they would invite children to come and tour the factory. Oh,
0: my goodness.
2: And so this is kind of based on that. And subsequent to the release of the first movie, which was in 1971, Cadbury released a whole bunch of related Willy Wonka chocolates. Oh, wow. So it's kind of interesting. Um, But, you know, the... I chose this book because the, you know, the iconic characters, Roald Dahl is such a descriptive writer and has the ability to make any of his readers, young or old, just laugh out loud (laughs) and, you know, the way he writes. And when I became a teacher and I was teaching third grade, I read this book to my students. And it, I was, I was so bad because I would love to read it to them right before they went to lunch <laughs> and to the scene where they were, where, you know, he's describing the chocolates and the smells and, you know, the candies and the kids would just be like, Oh, you're killing us. What are you doing? Go <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it just, it's a book i could read over and over and over and have read over and over again and um you know i think it's 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 iconic and it stuck with me for sure
0: you know it's one of those books what i love about this book is just he draws really succinct Intriguing characters, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And he reward he's typical role doll. If you've read many role doll yep. books, some of the characters he rewards, and some of the characters he punishes. Yes, especially in this book, right?
2: Oh, definitely. There's there's a clear distinction between good and evil. <laughs> <laughs>
0: did and, you Did you end up reading? Sorry, did you end up reading Charlie in the? The great
2: glass elevator. Great glass
0: elevator, yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Miss Extran read that to us also. hmm And that did not strike as great of a chord. Yeah. You know, that was not as, as intriguing. I think because he took it out of the chocolate factory.
3: I'm way. You out
2: know, of and um, you know, it it was great. It was great to see those characters continue, some of them, but um, you know, and see what happened to Charlie, but there was supposed to be a third
0: oh, was book there? in
2: this series I read, yes, but he just never got around to to doing it. But, um, yeah, The Great Glass Elevator was, you know, characteristically rolled out, but it didn't quite have that level of connection that right. The Chocolate Factory did. So, and then the other, the other book I chose um, – It was from, I read in, I think I was in fifth grade when I read this book. Um, And it's called From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. And it's by E.L. Conisberg, who who just recently passed away.
0: I love this book, too.
2: It's just, it's... It's another iconic book. So this book was published originally in 1967. It won the Newbery Medal for Excellence in Children's Literature for 1968. Um, It tells the story of Claudia Kincaid, who's 12 years old, and she takes her her little brother, Jamie, because he has more money, and (laughs) they run away from their home in Connecticut, I think, to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. And they, um, while they're there, they stumble upon this mystery. Um, Mrs. Frankweiler is the narrator of the story, and she's an 80-something-year-old woman. And the children discover that she has made a secret donation to the museum. And they try, they're trying to uncover exactly... What it was she donated and why she donated it, and um, and they end up meeting her and developing a relationship with her. But I just I loved as a young kid I loved that idea of escaping your normal life and going and being self sufficient and and somewhere new and exciting. And I just loved that that they got away with it. <laughs>
0: I think that's a one of the factors that attracts a lot of kids to this book and why it makes it so perennially a favorite. Yeah, it, it won the Newbery Award yep. when it came out, right? With four, yes, for young literature. Right in
2: 1968. Yeah, and um, I, I definitely wanted to be Claudia. I, you know, I, <laughs> um, it. I the descriptions of when they they go they get to the museum. This my favorite part of the book is r- right when they arrive at the museum and they hide. Right. They find a place to hide from the security guard, and they take a bath in the big fountain, and then they see all the collection of m- coins.
0: Right. Right. And they
2: start collecting all the coins in the fountain so they can use so you know extend their little. <laughs> amount of money that they have but you know i mean it, and then it's just so f- now looking back as an adult seeing how they continue all their little conventions you know here they are they've run away from home but she still makes sure they take a bath <laughs> and that they, they oh, brush right. their teeth and you know that all those conventions are continued but you know i just i loved the uh, that idea of of yeah. escaping your bounds and that 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 a book can take you to another place and you can become so immersed in that that life, in that scenario. Yeah. I think this book really did that for me in such a pivotal way.
0: It also, um, I, I, I think that's all spot on. And I I think it also is one of those books that gives the two children characters agency. Mm -hmm. So you, you just mentioned they're holding on to like, you know, doing their daily routines and finding money and stuff. Those are kids who are in control to some degree, Mm -hmm. which resonates well. And then also just the idea of running away to a museum, you know, those movies night at a museum, Yes, you know, yeah. There's, there's, it's a common library program in some of the older, bigger, grander libraries around the country to have sleepovers for kids yes. stuffed animals. So you can mm-hmm. bring your stuffed animal, and your stuffed animal gets to spend the night in the library. Um, you know, I think it's just a magical thing for in many kids'
2: yeah, minds.
0: So for sure.
2: So those were the two. I narrowed it down to we could we could do like a month series on this. Um, <laughs> And um, I might have to put in our show notes just a couple of other books, sure, too, because there, there are two that are just nagging. I'm just going to mention the title. I have Go to. I, I won't be able to sleep if I don't. Um, so, a snowy day by Ezra Jack Keats. Oh,
0: I love that book too.
2: Um, and Corduroy, and I, I'm sorry, but I don't know the author of Corduroy. Um, you know, when I was very little, those. I wore those books out um, over and over and over again. I just, I loved both of those books. So I have to, have to just give those a quick mention.
0: Yeah. Corduroy was um, uh, written by Don Freeman.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: Uh, Yeah. Snowy Day is one of my, one of my favorite iconic picture books for young children because it's just visually, you know, the young, the young child with the red hat on Yes. the white snow. Yeah.
2: And the way that, that Ezra Jack Keats did his illustrations, you know, are, are so, so iconic. And, um, I mean, I can picture them in my head right now. Um, and just like I can picture, picture the drawing in corduroy where the little girl takes corduroy the stuff bare off the shelf. I yep. mean, it's just, they've just stuck with me all these years and um, <laughs> we'll do okay. a follow-up
0: episode. Oh,
2: you, I, if our readers don't, if our listeners don't mind, that would be awesome. All right, Christopher, it's your turn. I've talked enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go through mine fairly quickly. Um, it's interesting, though, the themes that you talked about and in, in why the books were influential to you are, are similar to why my books are influential to me. And I could have easily written a hundred. Yeah. So um, the first one that comes to mind is one of the first books I remember reading at all from cover to cover. It was a little golden book. Oh, I remember those. Right. From the <laughs> early 70s. It was called, it is called, There is a Monster at the End of This Book. I love that. I love John. this book. <laughs> Authors John Stone from the Sesame Street crowd. It's that yeah. little golden book of Grover. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out in the early 70s, I think 1971. And Grover is the narrator of the book, and he learns there's a monster at the end of the book. So he, through the entire book, he's trying to convince you not to turn each page.
2: Right. Don't go there.
0: <laughs> tries, nailing down the pages, tying them down whatever, and whatever. And he gets increasingly frantic as you get closer to the end of the book, building suspense. And then when you get to the end, you find out that the monster was Grover himself. And he gets kind of sheepish oh you know it's just me (laughs) Um, tries to slough it off um you know so everything is fine at the end so it's a good book for monster book for children like most sesame street books are um but this is i think i read this is sesame street's most popular book ever Um, wow it's still a bestseller um i just left i just thought the book was laugh out loud you know Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and for me it was the it was the realization that you should read a book to the end that yeah. there's something there waiting for you if you look at right. the back end of the book so um i just i remember reading this book over and over and over and over as a kid probably annoying my parents you know <laughs> and, but um i love it the the next book i'm going to talk about is a book that um i learned about in elementary school cuz my teacher read it to us in the okay. fourth grade, and I, I can't remember her name. I'm not. I don't have as memory like you do. <laughs> but this was um, a book by Tova Jansen called "Tales from Moomin Valley." Now, it came out in the early 60s, um, and Tova Jansen created. She's Finnish, and she created uh-huh. these little cartoon characters called Moomins and um, their friends. Okay. There's just a variety of different little, like fantasy kind of creatures. Very simple. Mm-hmm. She wrote many, many stories and put them together in books. And so, Tales from Moon and Valley is just one. Okay. Book. And it's basically, um, you know, she started them after World War II and just wrote you know, story after story after story. And so they kind of pumped out in the 50s and 60s um, across Europe. It became very popular and, and popular in the U.S. as well. And then recently, like in the last decade, they've kind of had um, a resurgent. You know, I think Jansen cool. passed away recently, but, um, you know, there's kind of like a nostalgic rediscovery of these characters, mm-hmm. at least in the U.S. So, okay. um And they're kind of trippy. Like there's... Um, <laughs> they're not like I would not imagine an American author coming up with these at that time. You know, they're mm-hmm, kind, of, kind right. of out there, kind of like elves and <laughs> and and ghouls and what have you. And they all have trippy little names. My favorites were me and Bob, um, <laughs> which is what I would do every time she would say those names out loud. I would just kind of chuckle to myself because I just thought those are the funniest names ever. Yeah. And they are like, funny. <laughs> they're just like little mischievous twins who are really tiny and they're always like you know, pulling pranks on other people. And there's Moomin troll and his his mama and his papa and the snork maiden who has a crush on him. Um and then there's just all these other little side characters that they have adventures on. And it they're really simple, easy stories. Perfect. Are for they characters. chapter
3: books? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Each chapter is a kind of a different story, story. though. So you can okay. kind of read them out of sequence if you want. Okay. Which is probably why they made such good read alouds in class. Yes. Um, right. And yeah, there's kind of trippy. I think you know, k- kudos to this elementary school teacher and bishop in the seventies for you know pulling out Moomin Valley and reading them to her kids because mm-hmm. um, it, yeah. <laughs> it had a, a lasting impression on me. Um, and so when I think nostalgically about books that I've read as kids, this this one definitely comes up. And then the last book I'm going to mention really quickly, this is the first adult novel that I remember reading. And I read it when I was 13 and it's called Macbeth the King by Nigel Tranter. It came out in the late seventies and I bought it on a trip to Scotland with my mom and my mom's from Scotland. And so she and my grandfather went back on a trip when I was 13 and I started to get interested in history and, and specifically Scottish history Uh because that's where we're from. And so I remember picking up this book in a bookshop somewhere and thinking, oh, this is an adult book. And my mom's like, yeah, you can read that. And so um, I felt really good about reading an adult book, for one thing. Right. And then I learned about what a historical novel is, which is to take – an actual historical figure and kind of write an account of them. And I did not know, I had heard of Macbeth by Shakespeare, mm-hmm. but I didn't know Macbeth was real. And so this was the first time I learned Macbeth was real and he was actually a Scottish King. Ah. And the, and the author was, is well known for having done really well-researched historical mm-hmm. novels of his character. So he works from, you know, the limited number of sources that they had at the time right. when Macbeth was alive. And so you really get a more accurate portrayal of who he was and why he is an important figure in Scottish history. Mm-hmm. So I loved that. And, I, cool. and what I also loved is that the author, Nigel Tranter, wrote a whole series of books about Scottish history in novel form. And so I read most All of them. Of them. <laughs> and by the time I got to college and was studying French literature, I learned that a lot of Famous authors did that. So Alexander Dumas, who wrote Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo mm-hmm. and The Man and the Iron Mask, he was doing the same thing about the history of France. France. He was writing based on real characters. Mm-hmm. Um, in novel form. And then if you think about it, um, you know, I remember James missioner, my folks reading James missioner in the fifties and sixties and seventies, all of his epic sagas, you know, Hawaii, Chesapeake, Texas, he was doing the same thing for the U S. So it's kind of a common thing. Historical novelists do. So, yeah, that was just kind of, that's what got me on the trajectory of, of reading so much history and historical fiction.
2: That's, it's so amazing how the, things, you know, that we, that we can look back now as people, I hate to say this, but in our fifties and look back and see how books that we read at as children, you know, those patterns still emerge of, you know, what we like to read and what's influenced us.
0: And, and that's what I love about Children's and young adult literature today. It is Mm -hmm. so much richer and more diverse and tackles a lot more interesting issues um, that I think what kids are reading today is going to be just as fascinating. And I'm really hopeful to see how they turn out as adults, frankly.
2: I hope so. And, you know, that would be the one thing, you know, it's the one thing that I tell parents, you know, when they say, well, what can I do to, you know, help my kid during this? you know, time when they're doing distance learning and all of that. And, you know, my response is always make sure your kids are reading and writing every day. Right. You know, even if it's just a, you know, they, they read or you read with them for 30 minutes and then they write in, in a little journal, what they thought about what they just read. Right. You know, just that those two simple acts are going to help them so much to, Keep their brain working, you know you use critical thinking skills and um you know reading reading is just so so very important to the development of
0: children. You said it perfectly, and it's fun,
2: yes, and it is fun, and uh, you know everybody, I think during these times, when we're all just have a little bit more stress than. <laughs> we normally might, you know, right. reading is a way to escape that stress. Yep. And so listeners, we would love to hear what books you read as children that influenced you. And maybe some of the ones we talked about today were also meaningful to you. So uh, send us an email, let us know, hit us up on Instagram or uh whatever platform you like and let us know what you, what you think. Exactly. Okay, we'll be right back.
1: You are dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from eleven thousand feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. Just make sure you find us.
0: Welcome back, listeners. We're at the C portion of our podcast, the conversation segment. And we, Stacy and I, are really excited today. We are doing a remote recording up Rock Creek Canyon, which probably gives you a hint of who we may be talking to. Um, we were really excited to welcome um, Steve and Amy of the Rock Creek Resort. Welcome
2: welcome you you guys thanks Thanks for having having us (laughs) (laughs)
0: um so yeah kind of can you kind of give us the backstory of how the two of you ended up running this place a lot of us have fond memories of this place from when we were much younger and we're happy it's still here so it's nice to see it's in it's in capable hands how'd you end up here
3: well, I feel like I should start. I grew up here. I've spent every year of my life here. Um, my parents have owned it for 43 years. And so my sister and I grew up here, and we went to school in Mammoth. And um, I always intended on moving away and living in the city. And I did that, and it <laughs> wasn't that great. No I shouldn't say that. You should probably take that out. Uh, right. It's a common thing. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, when I got older, um, my parents were going to sell it at a certain point and it was on the market Mm -hmm. and I started to get really bummed out that it wasn't going to be in our family anymore. And, but I was still too young to think of writing it. Um, but then in 2008, when the depression happened, Mm -hmm. they took it off the market. They were glad they had a job. Right. Uh, and then a few years after that, I met Steve and we ended up here and, it was, I wanted to stay in the Eastern Sierra. We, we moved several different places and I always missed it and always wanted to come back. And, right. and so then it was kind of in an idea, maybe we should just take over the resort. And, uh, and now we're here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> Steve, had you been to the Eastern Sierra before meeting Amy?
4: Yeah, we, but just a Mammoth. Okay. And, and it was mostly just in the winter. Ski, okay, and that's why I initially moved to the area right out of high school was to be a ski bum. <laughs> nice. I was, Another <laughs> right. but um, the reason my parents let me do that was because there's the Cerro Coso, so okay, yeah. I was doing a little bit of school. Mostly Just scary. enough
2: to make mom and dad happy. <laughs> yeah.
4: Barely enough. get it.
2: I have kids it w- too. It wasn't
4: until I met Amy that I actually started doing better in school. I was actually focusing <laughs> on employer, on my thanks. future. Yes.
2: Yeah. You were a good student. Yeah.
3: Always. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I was an average student. <laughs> but yeah, and then I, we had never. I'd never been up Rock Creek Canyon until I met Amy. And we came up here to shovel after a storm, and uh, it was pretty amazing up here.
3: You get roped into working right away when (laughs) you you know become a part of the King family. Nice to meet you. Here's a shovel. Here's a shovel. Exactly. (laughs) We need some help.
0: Yeah. We get a lot of snow up
4: here. Yeah. 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 Well, that yeah that year there was a good amount. Yeah. And then yeah, so for me this is a dream come true. I've always wanted to be in
0: the mountains. and find a way to make that happen. uh, This is one of the most scenic and iconic portions of the Eastern Sierra, in my mind. It's just the drive up Rock Creek. This is Upper Rock Creek Road for our listeners, which is kind of at the south end of Mono County. And in fact, it's, it's... the resort is actually in inyo county right yes. you actually yeah, drive so far south as you're going up you cross the county line again yeah right? yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah and that's good that you know this is south because to <laughs> most people they get in here and they think they're going north yeah. and yeah, it is right? it, this canyon faces direct south i
0: yeah. think it's amazing yeah. and and it's also if i understand correctly above us now is mosquito flats which is i think the highest trail point Highest and paved road in California.
4: Highest paved road in and California. And what's the, what's
3: the elevation of that? It's right around ten thousand feet okay. right there, yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. at
0: ninety-seven hundred
4: here. Yeah, wow.
3: Yeah,
0: which is super high in itself. Yeah, but that makes it really accessible to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So this is a really popular area in the yeah. summers, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, it is. I think, I think a lot of people drive by because you don't really know what you're getting when you get up here. Yeah. Uh, from the bottom, you, you mm-hmm. don't see, you know, the backdrop from down there, <laughs> and then at a certain point, you're driving up the road, and you're, you think, whoa, right? It, it, so pretty up here so it is kind of a hidden gem um you know from just the passerby on the highway
2: and what is it like now being in charge of this place that you know your family is involved with and steve now you're a part of it
4: uh a lot of weight on your shoulders <laughs> <laughs> Compared to the first couple summers I spent up here, it was just free and easy. (laughs) Work eight hours and go out, Mm -hmm. play for the rest of the day. Now it's not really that. And sometimes you can get sucked into working so much that you forget where you are Mm, and lose sight of that. But I don't know. For the most part, I'm able to reconnect at some point. (laughs) Remember that it's special up here. And even though it gets tough sometimes, I... Wouldn't want to be doing this anywhere else, right? Right, right.
3: you're still doing it here, right? You know? yes. you still digging holes
4: down in Bishop or still
3: shoveling. Yeah, and are you open? Are you close in the winter, right? We close in the winter, okay. so we're open. Um, we, we work basically six months non stop, and then okay. in the yeah. winter, um, we take a little break. I mainly do. Work that I don't have time to do during the summer for uh-huh. the business, and right. then he does snow removal in Mammoth. So, okay. um, we do get a bit of a break as long as it's not a <laughs> giant winter. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, he's plowing snow, and I'm up here. We ski up to shovel. Yeah, yeah. right. It's, yeah, so it can be a lot of work, but um, for the most part, we we work really hard all summer, and then you know try and do some trips and take some time off in the winter. Um, but yeah, I. I enjoy it. I grew up here. I'm really used to this lifestyle. We live with all of our employees, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm used to the community living situation. Um, I I think it's definitely an adjustment for people that come into that, but I've just been doing it for so long that it feels good. And um, yeah, it was a I, shock
4: to me. Yeah. Really, ultra <laughs> shock the first yeah. couple months. Yeah, yeah. Not months, but a couple weeks here.
3: Yeah, but it's good. I mean we hire great people we get really lucky and um we have a lot of our family working here mm-hmm. every summer they kind of come and go this summer we have a lot of family working here <laughs> nice. we have a lot of family that's working in school the school system okay. and so right they are either going to be working from home or mm-hmm. they don't know when they're going back right. so right that that's uh that's been nice to have them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they get us a little more of a break versus summers where they're not here that much.
0: So, for the non family members that you hire, are they mostly locals or do people travel here to work for the summer? Like ski, I know a lot of ski staff travel here to, to
3: ski right. I mean,
0: just for the season.
3: Yeah. But, um,
0: yeah, uh, that's the
4: case, mostly. Uh, we do have one kid working here from Bishop. Yeah just graduated high school and everyone else traveled mm-hmm. here from
3: most of our part-time help is local
4: okay, okay. Yeah.
3: uh and then full-time it's mainly people that have come here or um we advertise on this website called cool works okay. uh, cool. Uh, it's a lot of lodging pack uh-huh. station kind of businesses okay. right um so we we've gotten quite a few people off that over the years um but But, yeah, I mean, there's always some locals working here that usually have jobs elsewhere and they do part-time stuff. That's
0: cool.
2: So have you seen a difference this summer in who's coming here versus what you've seen in other summers because of what we're experiencing with the coronavirus and has your clientele changed?
4: I would say it's the same people but they're all coming at once not, <laughs> it seems
0: like
4: it seems like they like they'll come every other year every few years you'll see them up here uh-huh. but now everybody's coming right that's yeah. what it feels like I, I think that maybe there's some new people coming in but
3: mm-hmm. I think there are I recognize are, a lot really of people I think there are some new people because it seems like there's a lot of people coming that haven't want to know about the hiking trails. They've Mm -hmm. never been hiking here, or they want to know where the campgrounds are. Right. Mm -hmm. It does does seem like that, but we're also getting a lot of people that I think normally go to Mammoth, but because Mammoth's so crowded, they're coming here. We're getting a lot of, well, we normally camp in Mammoth, but we decided to try down here to try and, you know, find a place that's a little less crowded, so... Um, no, the canyon is definitely way busier than it normally is. That's really wow. interesting because Mammoth is
4: really busy too. I've yeah. never seen East Fork Campground full on a Thursday. Wow! Really? A random well, Thursday. they've
3: been full since Tuesday. Yeah, they, yeah they're full yeah. almost wow. every day. Wow! Yeah. It's the biggest campground. Yeah, in this campground. there's over a hundred sites, and they're full. And there was a fire
2: here <laughs> down the canyon. <laughs> uh, was it Yeah, two, that was, last week.
4: It was last. They shut us Tuesday. Yeah, started last, on t- yeah. Tuesday. They evacuated the canyon on Wednesday afternoon.
2: So were y'all evacuated as well?
4: We
3: were. They let the businesses but, stay. The well, people that work at the, and live at the mm-hmm. businesses. Okay.
4: Yeah, um, so we were up here. Because it wasn't threatening up Canyon. Up, it was right. moving down. Down.
3: But we did have to. We had to shut down Wednesday through Sunday. Okay. Yeah. So it was uh, eer- eerily quiet, quiet. <laughs> for middle, middle of July. Of- uh, did Hawk you Creek. take
2: advantage of it? Did you go hiking or? I'm not you- <laughs> gonna lie. I did,
3: I did take it. I did go running up in Little Lakes Valley, nice. and nice. Um, it, it, it was uh, it was a very interesting feeling. I mean, I normally don't go up there until October. Yeah. Right. Um, and even then, I usually see three or four people. But to not see a single person, it was, it was weird. Bizarre. I have to say, it felt a little off. It, <laughs> I should have been like, "Yeah, this is awesome." But it's kind of like, "Woo, there is no one up here." <laughs> but um, yeah, the, that was a bummer. This is the year that won't quit. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I know, right? So true. It's it yeah. really
4: hard. To, to go from just full speed to get cut off so abruptly yeah. and then just keep your rhythm like, going right it's like what do i do now for the next five days and then all of a sudden going full blast right. again right like
3: one two three they open the road and then we just it was like bam Boom. such a busy day again <laughs> <laughs> there was some, yeah it was there right, like a line of cars uh, there was yeah. a line of cars coming up there was people backed up into the campgrounds trying to get into sites it was yeah it was it was weird wow. <laughs> never seen that before <laughs>
0: So we've talked a bit about your your day job and your sounds like your twenty four hour job in the summer. Yeah, that's about
3: right. <laughs> you sleep about four or five hours a night, it feels like yeah. <laughs> and then you get up and start working and yeah.
0: so when you do get some time to yourself or when the season ends, how do you guys recreate? What do you, what do you guys enjoy about the Eastern Sierra aside from this spot right here?
3: Well, to be honest, normally we go to Baja for a month and go surfing and hang out on the beach. And just like, (laughs) we go to the middle of nowhere camp in the, you know, not near anyone and just try and take a break. Um, but we, I mean, we both, when we're not there, we, we like to be here and, uh, we do a lot of camping. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a pop-up camper on our truck and we go to death Valley and Mm Panama Valley a lot and Eureka Mm -hmm. Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we both we both like skiing and uh, spend the,
4: most of the fall hunting.
3: Yeah, oh, yes. yeah, right. Okay. Yeah.
4: Local. Yeah. Get a deer tag and all that stuff. Yeah, a deer tag for the other side of Mono Pass and right. duck hunting and bird hunting with the,
0: with the nice. dogs. Nice. Yeah. Fill up the freezer. Yeah. Yep. Well, yep. no, but
3: try. <laughs> <laughs> try to <try laughs> fill <laughs> up the freezer. I just like being outside. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, I we're I feel like we're pretty outdoorsy people and we don't really get to do much during the summer. Um, yeah. so we try and take advantage in the winter and get out and
0: That's yeah. a nice time of year to go to places like mm-hmm. Panamint Valley or Baja mm-hmm. too, yeah. right? When it's right. normally 120 down there in the right. summer. Mm-hmm. So
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's we kind of try and have somewhat of a summer right when we're done and go somewhere that it's still warm and nice and cram it all into a month and then we enjoy <laughs> winter. And you probably need to get away to have that decompression, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, to it, put this yep.
2: a little lasts. bit behind and you.
4: What, what we found is if we don't go, if we don't set a date, okay, we're gonna be out of here in Baja or wherever. We'll end up just working forever, mm, and then, sure. And, yeah. and next thing you know, it's snowing up here, and we haven't finished everything. we Gotta get out, right <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah,
4: before you get trapped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Or yeah, the, the water's still on, and we it's a, 10 below. Right. But
2: that's great that you make, that you commit to, to getting out of here, to, to doing that because yeah. you need, you know, when you're doing something like y'all are 24 seven for six months, mm-hmm. yeah. you really need to take a break or you're going to drive yourself crazy. The
4: thing with Amy's personality is that <laughs> she is a workaholic in every sense of the word. And she will not stop unless we are physically removed from right. the work. <laughs>
3: Right. Yeah, I my dad's that way and I just I don't know. I guess I just inherited that but yeah. it's I have a hard time being like, "Okay, I'm done for the day. <laughs> I'm going to go sit and read." It, it's like, "No, I still Like twenty things to do on my list, so I'm just going to keep going until my feet fall off.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, if you're going to be successful in your own business, that's that's kind of
3: what that's part of it. It is the
0: driving force.
4: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So,
3: what
2: is your favorite thing about running this place? And it could be individually.
3: I feel like a part of my soul is here yeah. is it connected nice. to this building and this Canyon. Um, and I, I just care about all of it so deeply that I can't imagine not being here. Right. I, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes I, what would I be doing if I wasn't here and I really can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing than yeah. being here, taking care of this, doing my best, you know, I possibly can to run it. And
0: that's amazing.
4: And,
3: nice. Yeah. How about you,
4: Steve? Uh, I think it's just the people we get to meet. The nice people that we get
2: to meet. <laughs> OK, <laughs> They're take all that out. Say it again. Say
4: it again. I, I
3: you like say it again. I like the mean
4: people.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I like say it again. I like
4: the opportunities it's brought up. Um, like doing stuff like this its yeah. fun, I think.
3: He also likes to do the events and, and in right. Mammoth at the uh-huh. village. and. Nice. Yeah,
4: yeah. The vents they're stressful but they're fun. It's like a little adrenaline. Rush.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Just well, just all the things that go with it. People are generally happy by the time they get here, right? Yeah. I mean they yes. might have been on the road for six 99%. hours. Ninety
3: nine percent. Anywhere. No, I would say we yeah. are really lucky just yeah. hearing what some businesses down in Mammoth and Bishop are dealing with as far as masks go and right. stuff like that, mm-hmm. right. I feel like for the most part, I mean, I can count on one hand how many people have been right. horrible about right. it, yeah. and yeah. I think that that happens more like once a day, or yeah. you know, several mm-hmm. times a day to people down there. Right. Yeah. Um, That's so smart I, final. no i feel i i I think we get really lucky i think people are really happy you know most for the most part up here
0: so this is a leading question and you, you can answer it whatever way you want you mentioned your your family has run this place for over 40 years do you guys see yourselves running it for the next 40
3: I mean, uh, we intend on so it. Young. Uh, keep, I, mean, I they know can't that's why I wanted to ask
2: question. <laughs> no, I,
3: I definitely intend on it. Yeah. You know, I. Uh, we'll see what happens with the world. <laughs> but I, I mean, as if there's tourism and we can... I mean, we've even talked about depending on how the world goes if tourism becomes not as huge of a thing up here how will we adjust this business so that we can get more locals in here I mean of course I hope that doesn't happen I hope things balance out and settle down but um, no, I. we're going to give this everything we got. Yeah. I mean, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <All> right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> That's oh.
0: reassuring. As a local who grew up here, I moved away, too, and came back. You know, we camped in East Fork all the time mm. growing up. And coming up mm-hmm. here to get something mm-hmm. to eat or mm-hmm. just to buy fishing lures or whatever, mm-hmm. it's kind of reassuring to me to come back two years ago and see it's still here, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's vibrant and... Yeah. Going forward. Yeah. yeah. It's really important.
3: Yeah. I know, I know the pie thing was a big deal. Or oh,
0: explain to our listeners Yeah, that.
3: It, Just in case they've not. Okay. The <laughs> pie thing. Um, so that was something my mom did for 38 years. The last 10 years of that, my sister and I helped her. Yeah. Uh, and when she said, I don't want to do this anymore... It, it wasn't really a matter of, okay, then how do we find a replacement for her? Because I don't right. think that exists. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. She worked every single day from 4 until 8 o'clock at night. And 4 a.m. 4 a.m. Yeah. Right? 8 it's o'clock yeah. at night. And, um, yeah, clarify, 4 a.m. <laughs> They're like, yeah. four hours? That's <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> um, and I... I enjoyed helping her, but mm-hmm. it, it's not my passion. The kitchen right. is not my passion. Right. Steve has much more taken on that with his, di- his dad. And, yeah. um, I, with seasonal work, you're never guaranteed if people are going to come back and we didn't want to train someone new every single year how to right. make pies because yeah. it took it,
4: a whole season to learn. It to
3: takes make- a yeah. whole season to learn how to even do it. Yeah. And. The stress of trying to fill that, and also expect them to be making forty pies a day like we were doing—it just, it yeah. just, it just didn't seem without, reasonable without
4: modern machines. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Without, uh-huh.
1: like, this
3: is all pie <laughs> new, And that was another thing. People said, "Well, why don't you get your pies made somewhere else and bring them up here?" And it—that's not. not that's not us. That's right. not our. What's that's not point? what we do here. Yeah. So. Um, we just wanted to turn the kitchen into something that we could handle, and we um, could grow into what his passion. Yeah, your vision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, That's how it should evolve. And I, I don't think a lot of people understood that, but I also don't think they understood how much work it was. Right. I, it was. Um, my mom has tendonitis and yeah. like arthritis in her hands from it. Like. It's like oh pie, not a big deal. And it's like okay, <laughs> make forty of those. And there's it's, six months a year, yeah. every day. Every day yeah. And, yeah, and then tell me it's not that hard with well, two yeah. little ovens. Yeah, you know, it. So and it's not
4: like we were becoming millionaires doing it. It was sometimes barely breaking even oh, with yeah. all the... Yeah, you'd of have course. Eight, eight staff members in the kitchen cutting, cutting fruit, cutting strawberries, <laughs> laying them out on paper towels so yeah. they dry out. Is re- I
3: mean, it was, it, like, it is, I don't, like, want to discredit what my mom did in any way. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And just the amount of, like, care that went into doing all this was huge. And, um, but if, if, if something's not your passion, you just can't force no. yourself to do it. And his passion is barbecue and, um, his we're still using my mom's pie crust recipe and making cobblers with yeah. some of her recipes and then some of his dad's recipes and so it we we've tried to keep you know like that memory you know her, the memory of the her pies <laughs> yeah the spirit yeah. of her pies alive with that and but she even that's makes what, them sometimes yeah. Mm-hmm. Shh, don't she's retired she's
2: completely retired she's never here well I have to say for about our first 10 years up here that was how we got our older two to go hiking (laughs) was the the bribe of the pie after and if you don't complain yeah you know, <laughs> get a piece of pie. Um, I, you know. Get some pie I know. I no. know.
0: Barbecue would probably be my lure. So, I know. <laughs> me too. I
2: mean, I I know how much work it is to make two pies on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine yeah. making forty yeah. every day. But yeah. you know, I I applaud you guys, and I think it's Thanks. just great. It, you know that you're making this into your own thing. and
4: yeah. That's probably been the hardest part about taking over this business was. That in initial, just breaking hearts
3: of <laughs> thousands just, of people,
4: a lot of upset emails and I social mean, media really? comments. Really,
3: my, my mom was yeah. famous. She, we, I was uh, at Trader Joe's in Encinitas, and the guy was bagging my groceries into the paper bags they have there. Right. And I, and he, I was like, Oh, you know, we'll take, we'll take as many as you want to give me. We use it. We use them at our business and got on the, what's your, you know, where do you work? Blah, blah, blah. And, and he eventually was like pie in the sky. Like he, your mom is Sue King. I mean, he, he is just some random guy from downtown and he knew who my mom was, and it was so. It yeah, I it was it was a rough transition. Yeah, um, people
4: people mostly just hated Amy. They didn't yeah. know it was my. Fault.
3: I, I, no. no, I'm the I'm the disappointment. Oh
0: no, <laughs> you
3: are not a disappointment. No I was the daughter way. that didn't want to make pies. No, no, it's okay. No, I,
0: you guys are doing your own <laughs> thing. That's <laughs> what you guys really Get known for it'll be Stephen Amy's thing on something else. So that's Stephen awesome. Amy's barbecue. I, I
3: yeah. it really seems like it it's starting. People are
0: yeah, we've we we're through
4: the transition and now we're growing it in yeah. the direction we've we've wanted to. Right. That's, good. that's awesome. And,
3: yeah, yeah. It feels great. like things are on the up, yeah, uphill side of high. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure all of your parents are very proud of. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Oh <laughs>
4: well, we couldn't have done it without him.
3: I know. I mean, yeah, my...
4: A lot of I, family support in this yeah, whole business. Yeah, that's great. I yeah. mean,
3: his parents help us out. His dad works quite a bit, and my my mom, we try and have her off as much as we can, but yeah. I think my dad's going to work until he's 100 years old. He, I'm like, Dad, you don't need to be here. Uh-huh. And he, I'm just going to do this. And he just likes working. He so. loves yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I don't think he knows what to do <laughs> if he's not working. So, I'm sure I'll be the same way. <laughs> that workaholic gene. Yeah. There you go.
2: So yeah. if you guys have time to read, we always ask our <laughs> guests, <laughs> what is your favorite thing to read or what are you reading right now so can you share that with our listeners
4: uh i right now i'm rereading my my probably all-time favorite series by one of my favorite authors glenn cook Mm -hmm. Uh, it's called the black company but he also does a lot of space operas. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd, I guess, when it comes to reading. That's where I go That's to. great.
2: Awesome.
0: There's a lot of creative stuff written in that genre right now, yeah. too, you yeah. know? Yeah.
2: Have you always been a sci-fi reader <gasps> yeah. since you were a kid? I've,
0: ever since Harry
4: Potter came yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> That's what happened, <laughs> It was a right? gateway It was it a gateway, gateway drug
2: <laughs> for so yeah. many. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I
4: do, I do, I was reading a lot of uh, Steinbeck, too, oh, over nice. the winter. Or listening to the Audible book yeah. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. driving the loader. Um, but I like that kind of writing as well. Yeah, we just
0: we, we just we just read Cannery
3: Canary Canary Row. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love
0: that book. Isn't
4: it great? It's so such good. a good book.
3: And then we read Sweet Thursday.
0: Yeah, the sequel
3: to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just nice. as fun.
4: I didn't read such that.
3: Me either. But we oh, have you, to yeah, it it's now. yeah, it's good. it's good. It's kind of a, yeah, sequel. Um, I'm reading Miracle Country by oh. Kendra Alleywork. Yeah, yes, awesome. Yeah, um, I grew up with her sister right. and Kendra, but Kendra was a few years so older than me, and um, I. I love it. I always loved their dad, Robert, and it makes me cry almost every, when she starts (laughs) talking about him, because I've always thought he was a terrific guy and a terrific dad, and just reading Kendra's view of her dad, it's just, (laughs) it's wonderful, it just kind of... Reaffirms that belief that I, you know, nice. just Robert is amazing. Yeah. And so, um, I'm Isn't really it enjoying. Isn't it fun to read
2: mm-hmm. about a book that has all the places that you know? Mm-hmm. Like you know exactly what every single mm-hmm. place she's talking about looks yeah. like.
3: Yeah. You know, like in yeah. real life. Yeah, and the people, and yeah, it's I. I'm reading it really slowly, partially because <laughs> I read it at ten o'clock at night. While sure. night and you're exhausted, but, but I'm also just like savoring every word. I really want to pay attention and read it. So yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that. I'm gonna make Steve read it after. I don't have to make you. You'll no. want to read You'll it. You'll want to <laughs> yeah.
0: read it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great memoir.
3: It's it really good. She did a great job. She's
0: getting a lot of good reviews yeah. for it, too. Yeah. It's yeah. also really great for a book about, about this area. Mm-hmm. You know? Not a lot of people know about it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: thanks, you guys. Yeah, thanks. This thank was, you. was so fun to talk yeah. to you. Yeah. Thanks for making
0: time out of your busy 24-hour yes. days. Oh, yeah. thanks, thanks for coming up it. here. It's, yeah. so cool. it's great to get us out of town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's 20 degrees cooler here than it yeah. is. It is.
2: I know. I think I'm going to co- go home and get my sleeping bag and come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. i park in your yeah. driveway here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so thank you guys and thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast. As always, we invite you to uh, subscribe and rate us. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast, Podcasts, um, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, all the big ones, um, at our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. And our Instagram account, O2 Starved. Um, So, yeah, give us feedback, ask us questions, um, subscribe, and love us. And, again, thanks to Steve and Amy for joining us for for this episode of Oxygen Starved. So, um, until we meet again.
2: Stay safe.
1: Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Starved. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.